Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Hey, if you're new to Adoption Now podcast, we share real adoption stories told from real people. Adoption Now gives a voice to the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parent. Our mission is to help our listeners understand and adopt the whole entire story. Sharing real stories means we also share the joys and challenges of adoption, the love and the loss. And of course, I am passionate about adoption because I am the adoptive mother of four beautiful children. We told our stories at the beginning of season one, and we even adopted our daughter, I think, while we were recording its season two. So it was like adoption in real time. It was it was crazy. It was exciting. And a lot of our listeners could connect to the story because we were actually going through it. I mean, I don't know if some of you listeners can remember, but there was like an episode where it was like, we're getting the baby. And then the next episode was like, we're not getting the baby. And it was this like this roller coaster ride that we all go on to some degree. And it just grew the community. And it was awesome to be able to share our journey so publicly. And now she's five years old and in kindergarten, if you can believe that. But I'm excited today to share another perspective from an adoptee. Our guest is actually in studio and he is Native American. Christian has a love for adoption and just really overall a love for life. He and his wife have two daughters and he has been waiting for almost two years to be on the show. Christian Markey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Can you believe this? It is amazing. I'm just really incredibly honored and thrilled to be a part of something bigger than myself. It's happening. You were super excited when you came to me, we met and you're like, I got to tell you my story during this party with like 50 kids running around. And I just couldn't believe all that you have been through. And then what an outstanding person you are, just a loving, caring person. You love adoption. You're an advocate. So this is going to be exciting. Let's start at the very beginning of your story, which is is really challenging. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, just it was just something that was really near and dear and close to my heart. Yeah, uh, born January 5th, 1992 uh, in Kansas City, Kansas at my uh, that hospital. I later learned because I had a lot of questions where I was born Mm -hmm. and the reason why, because most of my siblings were not born there. Oh, I was. Okay. And so at the time, my father, who was a roofer, uh, that's where the work was. And so ironically enough, out of the eight kids, I was born there. And, okay. I, and that took me quite a quite a number of years to uncover that. Okay, so you're one of eight children. Where are eight you in children. that I lineup? have two younger sisters. Okay, mm-hmm. wow. And so your family was Native American. Wait, but something about Medicine Man. Yes. Is your dad part of? So uh, kind of my dad's dad was, um, yes, involved, not involved in, but a little bit more tied into the uh, being a medicine man, which explains a lot of, um, I think, just spiritual aspects that I keep in my life now. And that really just helps me not only keep stay grounded within the chaos of the world, Mm -hmm. but also being Native American and honoring my ancestors, but also living in the 21st century as well, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So eight children, 
you're all living in one place. What happened? Yes. So we actually kind of bounced around. Um, we were in South Dakota. We were in uh, Minneapolis for quite a bit. And one of, before I was, before I eventually met um, my adopted mother, we were living in Yankton, South Dakota. And there were eight of us in a kind of faded green trailer that was lifted about six feet off the ground. And we lived in that. And from the, that those were some of my first memories, mm -hmm. both good and bad that I had of all of us being together. And then what happened? How did CPS come in? Yeah. So we actually went through a, um, uh, her name was Sister Anne, and she was very, um, just very close with our family and my mom specifically. And she was looking after us and, you know, would bring us to the church at the time to not only get meals, but also just make sure that we were taken care of because mm -hmm. both my parents were um, alcoholics okay. and suffered from the alcoholism. And they had the problem, but they didn't seek the solution until it eventually just overtook, just overtook both of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. And were all of you removed? Um, the only three who were removed from that house at that time was my two younger sisters and I. Um, my mom and her sister just, she described it as a calling. Um, and she said that, yeah, they, her and her sister hopped in the car after talking to Sister Anne and letting them know that, look, hey, I have this calling. I can't really describe it, but this little boy needs me. And I know that I got a lot of resentment and other rising emotions from my siblings for that because they felt that I was chosen. But in reality, my mom could only handle me and her sister, my aunt, could only handle my two younger sisters. And they, all my siblings are older than me. Okay. We had to back up the story. Yeah. So you're living in this place. There's yeah. eight of you and your parents are alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Sister comes and helps, right? She's Catholic. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, such a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she comes and she's going to help you. And your mom and her sister somehow come across your family and she feels like she's supposed to adopt you. So you didn't actually get removed. You were in the foster care system. So we actually, um, I, I did get removed. Um, yeah, there was not too much longer after that. Um, uh, my two, my two oldest brothers, uh, pretty much were, I want to say 10 to 12 years older than me. So I really didn't have a whole full strong memory of them mm -hmm. and they aged out of the foster care system. And then my two older sisters, my older brother, they went through the foster care system and numerous times throughout my life, I had gone to visit them in varying houses and homes that they were in at the time. Okay. So did your adoptive mother see you at the church? How did she connect with you? Yeah. So she, um, just through working with, um, yeah, working with sister Anne and her sister, um, and my mom as well, too. My mom, they were all very close. Okay. And she just had a connection with you. Yeah. She's like, I really felt like a calling. Like it was, it was you. Mm -hmm. And I felt like you needed me and I needed you. Aww. And we, yeah. So. And how old were you? 
I was about four. She met me when I was about two. And yeah, around like four, four and a half, five. And her sister took your two younger siblings? Yes. Okay. And then, so that's interesting. So you kind of got to stay together. They didn't separate you necessarily because you're still part of the same family. Yeah. And that was, um, for me personally, it was something that I had to really grow accustomed to. But she kept all lines of communication open. And there wasn't a time that I wouldn't be able to reach any of my siblings at the time. And I was... Yeah, still very connected with my two younger sisters. Okay, so she met you when you were four. When did you actually go live with her? I started living with her probably when I was six. When you were six. How did you feel about leaving your parents, though? It was was a lot for such a little little boy. Yeah. Um, And I just really felt a wave of different emotions. That was something that really I had to work through later in life of understanding... Uh, not shutting off my emotions Mm -hmm. because that was when I was little, that was my defense mechanism. It was just was really tough, but it was really, I really grew a lot from the experience and really understood, you know, where she was coming from as well too. Mm -hmm. And understood that, you know, she's trying to provide a better life for me Mm -hmm. and I can love and miss my parents. But if I was to stay there, it wouldn't be as beneficial for me Mm -hmm. as coming to down to Arizona. I came down to Arizona, I think, when I was like six, probably five or six. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with it. There are so many complex, just emotions connected to the story and so many questions that I want to ask. Because I think people don't really understand that a child loves their parents no matter what. Even if the parent is an alcoholic, a drug user, Mm -hmm. abuser, they love their parents because they're children. And that statement is huge because a lot of times us as adults, we think, oh, they're going to be so happy to come with me because I'm rescuing them. And it's not quite that cut and dry, right? You're leaving yeah. people that you really love and you you want them to, to do the right thing and to parent you, but they're not going to do that. And so you go with this woman, but you feel connected to her oh, and yeah. you love her. And there are some people like you that are just very resilient and you, you, and my son is like this too. You are determined to see the good. You Mm -hmm. are determined to find the silver lining, right? And you're determined to heal from the experience. And there are adoptees who don't. I mean, I can tell you right now that when an adoptee in a certain uh, group of people that you know, have a podcast and they, they're on um, Instagram. If they were to hear this, they would be super offended oh, yeah. at what you're saying. They would oh, be definitely. like, your life wasn't necessarily better. Don't tell us that we're lucky. We're not lucky. We had to leave our parents, mm-hmm. you know, and they they feel so upset about what happened. And mainly because they didn't have a voice, Yeah, right? They never got the opportunity to really express how they were really feeling. And there was a lot of hurt in there. But you're telling it from the perspective of it was what it was and it was hard, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm still thankful. How did you get there? A lot of not only self-care, but self-work on myself. Um, another fun aspect about this and me being Native American is I'm hitting three years sobriety in November. And that has truly just helped impact it and kind of helped me dive back into the messiness of not only my experience, but my parental love as well, too. And that's exactly what you're saying. So 
it's just communication is so big, especially with, I mean, especially with both my daughters, you mm-hmm. know, my right. four-year-old's a Capricorn. I tell her, hey, you're, you're born <laughs> two days before me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're emotional people, honey. We got to express our feelings in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. If you don't tell me, I don't know. And that's the same thing with being, having survived and having gone through this, but coming out on this other side, better, stronger, and more loving instead of holding on to a hot coal and expecting it not to burn myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just, in my own time and effort and love and resiliency, looking back on it saying, yeah, at that moment, at that time and situation, my mom did what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I still have all the love in the world for both my deceased parents. Um, there's no animosity. There was a lot of baggage that needed to be unpacked but it was healthy and it was happy and it was yes it happened there were nights that i did have night terrors Mm -hmm. and me being um my mom moved she brought me down to arizona because this was her home Mm -hmm. and numerous nights i would kick and scream and wake up crying and just want my family and Mm -hmm. numerous times and numerous nights she was there for me and was so um just loving and just mm-hmm. held the space for me that I needed to yeah. as a little kid and helped me work through it in order for me to really understand what I was going through and not necessarily just shutting it down right away. Mm-hmm. Saying, stop being a little kid, stop crying about it. You know, you need to get over it. Right, right. Because it's a big, it's a big deal. It is. Especially, I mean, you think of four or five-year-olds now, like that's their whole world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I work a little bit later, at work, you know, my four-year-old wonders where I am. Right. I'm I'm pretty much her world, my mom and I. So she gets scared when it gets a little bit more rocky. Right. And that was what you were living in daily. Yeah. I mean, people oh, yeah. just don't understand that it's fear, it's sadness, it's confusion. It's a lot of emotions for a little person. Did you attach to your mother, your adoptive mother? Yeah, I really, um, like I said, she she described it as... Um, we both just really needed each other. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, once she knew, she knew. And even one of the cutest stories I have from when she first met me was she bought me my first pair of Nikes, you know? And she said, I came back the next day and I went to go wake you up and you were, had your Nikes on in bed wearing them Aww. and you were sleeping with the shoebox. And that was one of the first things that... I really, um, yeah, that was one of the first stories that, you know, she was just really taken aback by. Wow. Even something just simple as shoes. Just as simple. And, you know, they were probably just, yeah, they were, they were just a pair of shoes and it it meant the world to me Mm -hmm. though. It meant so much to me. And was she married? Um, she was married at the time. Yeah. Okay. So do you remember that dad? Um, yeah. So his name was, uh, Bruce. Okay. Yeah. And... It, did he parent you or how did he feel about you? Um, I want to say, to the best of my knowledge, I think they were actually broken up at this time. Okay. And it was just her. And she did the absolute best that she could. And I still felt so much, so welcomed into her family mm-hmm. and had amazing experiences with that as well, too. So, How did you do in school? School was 
it was a little bit more difficult, but once I kind of, um, I want to say just assimilated into it and really kind of, uh, was immersed in it. I really did like it. And I just, I really just enjoyed learning. And did you have any learning difficulties? Do you remember any of that? Um, learning difficulties, not as much. I was very clumsy. (laughs) Yeah, that was one thing that my mom had to work on with me was just kind of eye-hand coordination because I used to fall down a lot as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, and that it's. (laughs) I have. uh, So you weren't playing sports. Yeah. Well, yes. So it was, it was something that, um, that I loved being outside and doing stuff, but I would just fall down and in, uh, the best way possible, my mom helped me to not only overcome it, but understand that, um, I needed to really pay attention to what I was doing Mm -hmm. and, you know, look where I was going. So I moved with the purpose and a direction and not just, um, yeah, not just, like being Be- self-aware, yeah. right? Yep. That's and maybe just that you, you know, like this is where my body is going. I have to look. I have a child like this. Oh, we're yeah. always like, look, and we call her the bobblehead. I'm like, yeah. look where you're going. And she's still looking at me and walking. I'm like, no, look in front of you. Don't look at me. And we teach her to stop and be aware of your surroundings and, you know, slow down. Mm-hmm. What do you need? And that kind of reduces the clumsiness as well as that she's more self-aware. When did you start drinking? Um, so this was, I was, uh, first of all, great question. <laughs> um, something that I was always, I was taught the facade of what alcohol is uh, mm-hmm. for me and for Native Americans. And I wasn't truly um exposed to it until about two weeks before i was 21 and that's when uh my um birth father tim brant passed away um and i just i started drinking and it was nobody told me that alcohol was going to taste that good Mm because they have the mixed drinks they have you know it's not going to be this um this skull chalice with bubbling liquid right. and, you know, and all the ways it's going to ruin your life on the side. It's not like that at well, all. Well, you didn't watch Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new one just came out and yeah. it really depicts it as like, if you drink this, kids, yeah. you will turn into a donkey. Yeah. See? <laughs> See, you missed that. I just, yeah, I s- <laughs> scooted right over that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that you never know what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. Some kids try it and they're like, whatever. And then some are like, this is it. Oh yeah, and it it was fun until it wasn't, mm-hmm. and then it just became so toxic and bad for me that I just, you know, I just really needed a change needed to happen, and you know, reconnecting with my higher power, mm-hmm. understanding the way that I wasn't that I was going at that moment in time, where I was going to end up six feet under or in prison for life, mm-hmm. and just reaching out and surrounding myself with the right people it was lonely at first because you get you get sober and you have no friends all of a sudden yeah all your friends i was your friend because i was buying you drinks at the bar right i was buying everybody and their friends drinks at the bar so of course everybody loved me but once i took that away and i really had to break it down yeah that's when my wife now um just really stood by me and shout out to her for being as beautiful and as amazing as she is and strong and resilient but helping 
be there in some of my darkest times. Mm-hmm. And what about your birth father dying? Do you think triggered this grief? Uh, it was anger, mm-hmm. a lot of anger. I just had suppressed that defense mechanism that I told you about earlier. Um, I just was really angry because I think I was about 10 or 11 and I asked myself, why do my parents love drinking more than me? Mm. And in reality, it, you know, as heartbreaking as that was for, you know, 11 or 12 year old to ask it, it, the question needed to be asked. And only later in life would I learn that, you know, they had the problem, but didn't seek a solution. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't want to be helped. And that wasn't, that wasn't my fault. And I took responsibility for that for a number of years. Mm. You know what? This is so deep and interesting because as a mother, as an Mm -hmm. adoptive mother, you think if I just love them enough, if I give them Nike shoes, if I do the thing, um, we can skip over that. We can avoid all of that. And the truth is, 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 you know, without creating this space to talk or you don't even know what is sleeping in there, right? With the sleeping giant. And then all of a sudden something happens and you're surprised. You're really surprised. Like, wait, you were angry all this time, but I thought we were having fun. And, And that's the complexity of an adoptee is that there is also this biological side. There's also this painful side even though you do love your mom and she is amazing oh and, yeah you know she wasn't able to take that part away and i think that that's really important for adoptive parents to understand is that it, no matter how much you love your child and just even biological parents mm-hmm. you can't take it all away your love can't heal everything and there are times when when it will come up the mm-hmm. anger or the confusion i mean what advice do you have for adoptees listening to this um definitely for adoptees listening to us, one, uh, you're not alone. And I think a lot of people forget that is we're humans. We are emotional beings and we share experiences. We bond through these shared experiences. And, you know, the people who I have by my side today are, I would have never guessed in a million years that they would be the people by my side. But in my circle is a lot smaller, but it's a lot stronger, more loving, more attentive and my girls and my wife are included in Mm -hmm. that as well too um so one you're definitely not alone two um there are others out here and like i said we support each other Mm -hmm. through love acceptance and i was actually talking about this with my wife the other day um and my best friend is like just loving him and her the way they needed to be loved not how i thought they needed to be loved Mm -hmm. And to kind of elaborate on what you said as well, too, I think I was 17 and I had wrote a suicide note Mm -hmm. and because I had a great life and I just, I had so much uh, on the outside and I was very, very happy and grateful for everything that I had, but I felt such a deep emptiness inside that I didn't really know who I was Mm -hmm. and it was really, and you know, my adopted mom and, um, and my stepfather at that point, um, they both sat down and we talked about it. And I was just like, look, I feel so disconnected from not only my culture, but who I am as not only trying to find myself as a Lakota man, mm-hmm. but who I'm supposed to be in this world. You know, I was on the verge of being 
18, you know, senior in high school, what are you going to do after high school? And I just felt such an emptiness and I did not know where to go at all. And just through definitely therapy and immersing myself and, you know, talking about it, bringing it forward to the forefront really helped me out. Um, And just not being afraid to share because when you do share your story, you kind of give other people permission to share theirs. Right. Because I'm like, well, he went through that. Well, holy cow. Right. That's a lot. Well, yeah, I, I definitely can relate to him on so many different levels. Right. And not feeling alone. I think that's the main part of why we do what we do is because we don't want anyone to feel alone. Not an adoptee, not a birth parent, not an adoptive parent. We want you to know that there's a community of people who do understand you. And there's always somebody who's a couple of steps ahead, right? Oh, and yeah. so you are representing that, right? Because you're ahead, you've you've kind of processed all this. But there are I have listeners that are just starting the process. They're yeah. just opening, you know, that can of worms, so to speak. They're just trying to figure out what hospital was I born in, what you know, I don't I didn't love everything about my adoptive family and exploring all those really scary emotions. And, and so they can look to you into the story and say, Oh my gosh, this is really inspiring. And I, I know I'm going to make it through and I'm so glad you didn't kill yourself. Yeah, that's, I am definitely am as well too. Um, and just being able to reach out and being able to provide that lifeline of, you know, I do know where you're coming from. And not only am I here and I'm a living proof of it, but you can do it. And I will be supportive and positive for you and anybody who needs it. Mm-hmm. And going through that trauma, like I I still, it took me a while, but I learned to come around and I learned to not only be as angry at my dad, my uh, birth dad, Tim, and my uh, birth mom, Brenda, for who they were but also just hold them in a loving space so that I could make peace with it. So I could move forward in a loving collective manner. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to hold that baggage on. Right. And I can look back on it as something that it was tough, but it happened. It made me stronger. I understand what it was and what it is now. And I get to just move on and I get to do it in a loving, positive, healthy space now. Right. I think recognizing that, they were broken people as well and they they couldn't get out of it and then here you are kind of going in that path right and you had to stop it was like you knew i can't do this i can't become like them i have to do the work to not do this to not go into that cycle and we think sometimes when we pull kids out of the cycle they'll never go back in that cycle but it's they're pulling them yeah right it's they're mm-hmm. pulling them back those native roots and some of the things and i and i relate to this because you know i'm native yeah for and sure. so my dad was removed and our listeners know the story but my dad was removed and i grew up with my mom he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. um she escaped basically when I was 18 months old. I also went through night terrors. I was kind of a very fear, not kind of, I was a very fearful child. And my mom always told me that your dad is very sick. That's why he's not here. He's very sick. And then one day he called and I talked to him and he was not very sick because very sick means he's ill. He can't, you know, he sounded normal. He was fine. He's not sick. And then it was like, he just doesn't want you. Yeah, And so my mom had to explain the sickness was alcoholism and that, I mean, I, 
I grew up in a home nobody drank, so I didn't even know oh, what that yeah. even meant, you know. And it was very hard as a little girl trying to figure out, you know, what what does that mean? Why isn't he here? And I had resentment too, in kind of a similar way, yeah, different. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then finding him again and going back into the culture mm-hmm. and just being so overwhelmed with my own family roots. The same with how you're feeling is like, I have to stop this. Mm-hmm. I cannot continue the cycle. And even though my mom did pull me away and I was raised differently, I could feel that some of that was was pulling me in that direction. And I do have a relationship with my dad. It's not like a perfect relationship, yeah. depending on if he's sober or not, and if I'm getting yeah. a call in the middle of the night. But, oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, you know, just being being native is so awesome and beautiful. And it sounds like when you were growing up, some of that was taken from you as well. Yeah, it was. I was, I was definitely just kind of was removed. Um, and, you know, she she did it for the better and it was still it was still really tough and i had to kind of come back around to it because i needed and wanted for myself to fully understand not only where i was and how i want to present myself as a lakota man and being sober and but also a great what does a great husband look like to me and how am i going to benefit you know be there for my family mm-hmm. And how am I going to be different from, you know, my own parents and how even my adopted parents, I have a lot of great mannerisms from them. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of um, other mannerisms as well too, some negative. Mm -hmm. And it's just finding that balance of who I am in this world, not necessarily um, holding resentment towards them, but understanding in that moment in time did I miss being with my siblings? Yes. Did mm-hmm. I miss my parents? Of course. It was chaotic and drunk nights. And there were certain memories, you know, of my first, one of my first memories was my dad, uh, my dad hitting my mom and I was hiding behind the couch and I was clutching onto my Buzz Lightyear, mm. who I still have to this day. Wow. And... I just, that was one of my first memories. And then the cops coming and taking my dad, you know, putting him in the back of a squad car and then driving away. And it was, I just, I thought, you know, that's when I really, that defense mechanism, but that was something for me that really, truly stuck. And so, you know, in my early twenties, I thought, okay, chaos is, you know, I've lived in chaos before. Mm Mm-hmm. That, familiar. That's normal to me. That's familiar. Right. I can that's what you're supposed to do, right? It's like, no. <laughs> no. No, there's a different way to live. There's so many other better ways. So tell me about your siblings. Uh, so youngest is Sabrina. Uh feisty, sassy, funny. But she's okay. They they attached yep. and they're okay. Yeah. So they um both live in Minnesota and yeah, they're both just doing well and doing their thing. And, um, yeah, with my older brother, Dalton, who I think he's scheduled to come down in October, him and I, I actually, I want to say around 22 or 23, I went back to South Dakota for a year because of not only choices that I had made to put myself in tough situations, but I really felt like I needed to connect and go home. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so, wow. yeah. So you went back? So I, yeah, I pretty much, I lost both my jobs that I was working at the time and I got kicked out of my apartment and I packed all my stuff in my little car, drove, you know, however many states up to South Dakota and he let me stay with him for about a good four or five months. I slept on his couch. What? Yeah. And what was that experience like? It was, it, I want to say it was kind of my, kind of my pilgrimage to go home and really see what it's all about for me because mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, I want to go home and, you know, be, be in my homeland because I'm originally from South Dakota, South South Dakota. Right. And enrolled in the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe and as we all are. But it ended up not working out and just being such being such a great experience along with after that my adopted dad did have to come get me because I had gotten myself in over my head and it just wasn't really healthy for me to be there. And yeah, my brother Dalton and I, we didn't talk for, I think, two and a half, three years after that. Wow. Yeah. Wait, really okay. So she did, your uh, adoptive mom did get remarried and you did have an yeah. adoptive dad. Okay. Yeah. So the first one went away, but then you did have a dad. Yeah. And he loved you. Yeah. Okay. And you attached to him. Yeah. And you still have a relationship with both of them. Yeah. So yeah. We oh, do. good. Yeah. That's amazing. It's an amazing journey. I mean, I could talk to you all day, especially about the Native American part oh, and definitely. discovering yourself and the good and the bad and the beautiful things and the spiritual awakening really that happens. Um, and I think that Natives are really gifted with, um, and I, even to this day, sometimes my dad will just call me out of the blue. Like he's understand something and knows exactly that I'm going through something. We haven't talked in a while. And then he calls me and it's like, how did you even know that? There's just this connection. And I think that um, it's just incredible. And I really could spend the entire podcast on that. But (laughs) I want, when we end this, I want you to give, I know you give advice to adoptees, but what's your Mm -hmm. advice to us adoptive parents raising these sweet kiddos? That is a phenomenal question. Your presence means more than you could know. And I say that with such love and acceptance and just by holding that space and being there for them and letting them work through emotions and just having healthy outlets as well too um, is something is just such a key thing because if we say we're fine on top, there's probably something going on inside that will come up or come out later in a more destructive way Mm. and just i mean it's not always gonna be easy but it's i mean it's gonna be worth it i mean i still gotta try to talk to my wife into uh adopting (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah so well your two are little yeah right now they're beautiful Christian, I appreciate you coming on the show. I congratulate you on three years of sobriety and for fighting through and just telling your story and leaving space for many emotions. This is a place, Adoption Now is a place where you can express happy, happiness and gratefulness and joy and anger and stress and Mm -hmm. the negative. That's what we wanted to create because if we just tell the happy, then we're leading a lot of people into a false expectation of what adoption is, right? But if we only talk about the negative, then like everyone's like sad and no one wants to adopt and there are children that need homes. Mm -hmm. And so this balance of really exploring 
painful things and joyful things is exactly what we want to bring out. And so your story is so inspiring. And I remember when you told me your story the first time, and I feel the same way now, is that I would totally adopt you too. <laughs> if I saw a four-year-old Christian, I would adopt you too yeah. because you have a very sweet and kind nature. And like I said, you always want to see the silver lining and that resilience is such a gift to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, not only the chance to tell my story, but the chance for other adoptees to be able to reach out. And, you know, what you're doing here is absolutely amazing. And it just, it gives me so much hope and light because it's, a, I came from such a dark place and such a broken place, but here we are. And I have two beautiful daughters who I just absolutely love. I sit back sometimes and I think, this is my life. This mm -hmm. is, this is some storybook yeah. stuff. I, I said, this is me? It's like, this is amazing. So yeah, you can, everybody can definitely, um, yeah, just appreciate the, appreciate that presence and holding that space. So mm -hmm. And have a hope for a future. Oh, definitely. That some people right now feel so overwhelmed and lonely and confused about who they are and there's no hope, but you are here to say there's, there's a hope for a future. Look at this family you have, look at mm -hmm. these beautiful daughters, look at the life you get to experience. And that happens because you didn't give up. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much, Christian. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionalpodcast.com. We'd love for you to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode. Mm -hmm.